All right. So should I kick the show off? Let's do it. Let's go for it. All right. What episode number are we on? See, I got to open up the show notes. That shows you how awake I am. Well, I think. That sounds right to me. Chuck, you sound like way more tired than you did 30 seconds. Okay, hang on. I'm going to go. I'm going to get coffee, Jax. One sec. Sounds like you're actively falling asleep right now. We're roughly around episode 20 or something. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we, we've done about a dozen. Yeah. Chuck passes out. Welcome to episode. Your guess is as good as ours. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 12 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Jameson Dance. Howdy howdy. We also have Joaquin Larson. Hey, it's me with the dogs. Uh, AJ O'Neill is in the chat right now so he'll probably just tell us uh, important and happy things in the chat and we'll we'll uh, we'll voice for him. We also have a special guest and that is Adi Osmani. Howdy, I have no dogs. <laughs> and I'm I Charles Maxwell. Yeah, I just FedEx him. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. For the animal levels, lovers, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from TeachMeToCode.com, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about design patterns in JavaScript. Um, Addy, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Um, I'm, I'm sure there's one or two people out there that don't know who you are. Sure thing. Uh, so my name is Addy Osmani. I'm a JavaScript developer at AOL. Uh, I've written a few open source books like uh, Essential JavaScript Design Patterns, Backbone, JS Fundamentals. Uh, I'm on the jQuery team. I've contributed to open source projects like Modernizer, and I do some other open sourcey stuff in my spare time. All right, yeah, we we love we love those projects, jQuery, Modernizer, um, jQuery. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joaquin was telling us how much he loves jQuery. Anyway, um, so we were we were having a discussion before the show, and I think it's interesting to talk about before we jump in on design patterns. And we were talking about uh, to do MVC. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. Do you want to just explain what that is and why you did it? Sure. So a while back, I realized that you know as time went on, we were we were getting more and more MVC frameworks in the JavaScript world and and sort of structural solutions to try helping developers organize their code better. And I, I got to a point where it was it was difficult for me to, to like go and compare each framework, not just because, you know, some of them had bad docs, but they didn't all have examples of how to actually use the framework. And I found it really difficult. So I thought, well, why not create a project that has the exact same solution in every single one of these frameworks? So how does, you know, solution X try to structure models and views and controllers and, and what other bits and pieces it might have? And uh, I just wanted to make it really easy for developers to, you know, get a feel for what a framework was like before they went and explored it further. So, you know, maybe you'll take a look at 10 frameworks, maybe you'll take a look at five, and you'll just find two that you really like and just go see if, you know, it's, it's a good fit for your project. But that's that's the essence of what to do MVC is all about. All right, cool. And I think it was Joaquin that pointed out that uh, not all of the frameworks really compare um, in the same way, feature to feature, you know, and whatever. Um, so what, what's kind of your, your take on that? Because, you you know, you look at some and they have different capabilities than others. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's a challenge that we've been trying to solve for the past while. I um, mean, our upcoming releases, we, we are trying our best to sort of make each implementation as consistent as possible so that, you know, developers have a fair view of what they can do with the framework versus how much extra effort they might have to go to, to get it as good as something a little bit more mainstream, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also, real, you know, we realized that it's really, really difficult getting a baseline application to help you compare, you know, 20 or 30 different frameworks. 
And one way that we're going to try addressing that is by coming up with a bunch of end-to-end applications. So, you know, a complete application built with Backbone or Ember or CanJS or any of the others so the developers can get a really good feel for how all the other little parts involved in building an application are solved by that framework. And we're going to try documenting that as, as much as we can. And, and hopefully that'll give developers an even better way of making their minds up about what to use. Yeah. That wait, wait, sense. wait. So you're saying that you didn't build the to-do MVC stuff because you had a lot of to-do things? I, I just thought it was because Abs- you had No, absolutely. I, I woke up one day I woke up one day and I thought, well, why don't I have an application in 20 different frameworks for each of the different aspects of my life I need to remind myself yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. It seems like it would really help you organize. Yeah, he, yeah, fi- like- he finished reading Getting Things Done and he said, <laughs> I need to do to do some to do applications. Champion procrastinator. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome! So, um, a lot of people were asking that we get you on the show to talk about design patterns in JavaScript. And um, I remember when I was a new developer, I really didn't have a good idea of what a design pattern was. Mm-hmm. Can you can you jump in and just explain that really quickly, like what they are and how they're used? Absolutely. So, design patterns provide us with like proven solutions to recurring problems in development. So they try to build upon the experience of developers that have been trying to solve similar problems to us over a number of years. And JavaScript is obviously not the first programming language. There have been tons over the past 20 to 30 years. And design patterns just mean that we can take some of the learnings from those other languages and hopefully apply them to JavaScript and apply them to the other projects that we're working on a day-to-day basis that can hopefully save us some time. Yeah. That, now, you know, patterns patterns address a ton of things. Like, you know, developers are going to go into projects and wonder, well, what's the best way for me to separate concerns? And what's the best way for me to offer, you know, simple APIs that are easy for people to consume, but which are, you know, still allow me to be complex behind the scenes if I need to? Or, or how do I to couple my application so that each part of it doesn't have to directly speak to another part. And patterns help us with all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. And um, were they first originated with the book by the Gang of Four, or is that... No, no. Um, design patterns actually were, were originally defined by an architect um, called Christopher Alexander a, a long, long time ago. But um, design patterns elements of reusable object-oriented software was one of the first sort of breakthrough books to um, sort of describe how, soft, how design patterns can be applied to software design and they had a really huge impact on how software engineers appreciate design patterns and how they apply them to their projects. But um, I guess I realized after reading the book that, you know, first design patterns aren't really covered as much in, in computer science courses um, at most universities. And secondly, there's there, there was at least no open resource that developers could go to to just learn about patterns and how they apply to JavaScript. So I figured, well, you know, why not write one? Yep. And, and I, I just want to back you up on that because uh, I have a college degree in computer engineering. It's not computer science science, but I took quite a few computer science classes. And yeah, I, I don't think the word design and the word pattern were even used in the same sentence, let alone <laughs> together. So I mean, the, closest, the closest you get is probably algorithms and data models. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that, that they only kind of like scratches the surface, especially in terms of you know, interactions and reusability. We we did some design pattern stuff in one of my classes. Um, I think one of the dangers with design patterns, though, is that people uh, build patterns instead of applications. Eventually, it's it's like other I don't know cool new things that you discover in in computing. Like you first learn about meta programming in Ruby or like async stuff in Node.js, then you you go and do horrible, awful things with it by using it like where it doesn't need to be used. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. People, you know, don't use design patterns, you know, if you're not using it for the right reason. Like I, I've seen people that will just see a design pattern in my book or in other books, or they'll see some an article about a design pattern hacker move and sorry. <laughs> 
that's cool. Um, and they'll be like, you know, I should be using what the cool kids are using. Surely, you know, it's on Hacker News, I should be using it. But that's that's completely the wrong reason to be using a pattern. You should be studying what patterns are available, um, form your own conclusions about them, and try to pick out what makes the most sense for your project. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, well, one thing that I, I've found with design patterns that I think is interesting is that in a lot of cases, I'll start building something, and I'll, I'll get it mostly fleshed out, and then mm-hmm. some other developer will come and look at my deal and go, oh, you're using the observer pattern. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I am? Go look. I guess I am. And and I think I think that's just, it's also a good way of checking your homework, I guess, where you can uh, get in and, and have a look and go, okay, you know, um, yes, this, this problem actually fits this design pattern. And that's sort of what I intuitively wound up building. Exactly. I mean, the, the thing I like about design patterns is that you get like this formal language that helps us to, to more commonly share an idea. And it's, it's harder for us to, you know, describe syntax and semantics and things like that about what a pattern is versus just saying, well, hey, I'm using the observer pattern. Yeah, AJ pointed out patterns are invented, not or patterns aren't invented; they're discovered. And yeah, it's just it's 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 so interesting. At the same time, you know, you can also look at a pa- a problem and uh, at the same time realize that uh, a particular pattern describes well what you want to do. And then exactly what you're saying, then you can start to explain to somebody else instead of saying, well, we need this out here that that does this, and this over here that does this. You can just look at them and go, well, we're going to use this pattern, and we're going to tweak it a little bit this way to match our problem. And so it does. It defines that language that that immediately provides this huge amount of context around um, the way that you're going to approach and solve the problem. I think it's also important to realize or like it's important for, for, de- for developers to realize that there are really nice and interesting problems to solve at higher levels of, of abstraction as well. You know, a lot of people tend to like reinvent the wheel all the time. And, you, you know, I was, I was commenting on jQuery and it was like one of those things where, you know, each time you start something, you have to kind of start from fresh or bring what you had from before because there's no kind of building blocks in, in terms of that. But I, I'm pretty sure Addy is working on that. <laughs> Yeah. So so let's jump in and talk about some of these design patterns. I mean, I was looking at, uh, what is it, essential JavaScript design patterns? Yeah, essential JavaScript design patterns. And, you know, there were quite a few interesting ones in there. One that I want to jump on real quick that I thought was interesting was that you had the dry pattern, which I don't really think of as a design pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, well, whilst it's not it's not necessarily, there's a disclaimer right above the, the dry pattern that says it's not necessarily a design pattern, but it is a nice way of thinking. And sometimes when developers try approaching problems, they they, they sometimes forget that, um, you know, you, you don't have to include as much repetition in your code and you don't have to be doing things, you know, in several different ways when, when you can simplify them down to maybe five or six lines of code instead. And it's just one of those patterns that, I guess, improve readability and, and remove the need to, to include, um, you know, a ton of code that, that doesn't have to be there, I guess. Yeah, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, it's it's a principle. The first time I was exposed to it was when I was reading uh, The Pragmatic Programmer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, it's something that uh, they talk a lot about when, when you're programming Ruby on Rails is dry and, and that's why you have MVC um, and I think I think it's an interesting principle that definitely applies to a lot of these because you wind up putting together these design patterns to help you um, avoid the repetition and avoid the problems that come out of repetition. Mm. But yeah, it, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, and you know, I, I can see how it it might you know kind of come and bump up against what a design pattern is. But uh, anyway, that that makes a lot of sense. So um, one of the other design patterns that I wanted to ask about that I don't completely get is mm-hmm. MVVM, mm-hmm. and I understand that it's similar to MVC, but 
but I, I don't completely understand what, you know, how they're related and what the differences are. Oh, that's that's absolutely cool. So I'm going to I realize that, you know, this is JavaScript Jabber. There are going to be a ton of JavaScript developers that are very familiar with MVC on here. But for those that aren't, I'll just go through that very, very quickly. So in MVC, we've got sort of three parts. We've got models, views and traditionally controllers. Uh, the models manage domain-specific data for an application. So, you know, if we're creating something like, say, Facebook, you probably have models representing users and photos and, and videos and stuff like that. Models might have validation rules and, and defaults, for example. To uh, So if you upload a photo, for example, it, a model can have a default state to make sure that it's visible to everybody on your timeline. Um, views, and, and when models change, they notify um, anybody that, that are, that's watching the model about that. So, so views, for example. Now, views... Um, in MVC at least, are representation of models that have like a, a filtered down look of, of their current state. So looking at, say, the user model again, you could easily have multiple views for that model. You could have um, you, know, you could have one that shows the movies you've watched on Netflix, the, the music that you've listened to on Spotify, etc. And views usually observe models and they notify, they're notified when um, models change. But they also come in two different flavors. And this is going to come back into something I'm going to talk about in MVVM. Views have two flavors. They have, um, they can be passive or they can be active. Okay. Uh, sorry, I saw something about someone being muted. Um, so views can be passive or they can be active. Now, a passive view is considered relatively dumb. Um, and that means that it's mostly manipulated by a controller, but an active view is something that has a lot more logic in it. It might have data bindings, it might have events, it might have behaviors. And patterns like MVVM use active views. But I'll, I'll go into a little more detail about that soon. And then again, in MVC, we've got controllers. And they're supposed to be like an intermediary between models and views. And I guess they're classically responsible for, for a few different things. They're, you know, they, they update the view when the model changes and they update the model when a user changes um, the view. So if you're, if you're, for example, editing the caption on a photograph, um, that's you editing a model effectively. And so your controller will then um, update that for you when you've made changes to the view. But, you know, we, we talk about MVC, but the reality is that when, we, when it comes to JavaScript frameworks, there's not really a true sense of MVC. Um, I can't I can't think off the top of my head of many frameworks that actually follow this pattern exactly. If we took Backbone.js, for example, um, that completely omits the controller. And we, we usually say Backbone is MVC or something like it. But Backbone completely omits the controller. And it moves all of the responsibilities of the controller into the view. So, you know, you have controllers, you have views, you have models, sorry, you have, you know, views, models, collections, routers, but there's no controller logic um, in its, its own separate component. It's in the view. Yep. And so it can be challenging sometimes if, if developers are reading classical literature and they're saying, okay, well, I sort of get what MVC is, but why is it that all these frameworks I'm using um, approach it a little bit differently? And the reason for that is usually because the, the framework authors have um, interpreted the pattern a little bit differently or they found that you can be a little bit more flexible with it. Um, and, and that's, you know, with, back, with Backbone at least, that's a good thing. It means that um, I can develop an application that, you know, maybe just has a single model and multiple views and, and doesn't need a controller at all. But it, it, it can get challenging. Challenging. So I'll, I'll talk about MVVM now. So we've talked about models, views, and controllers. Um, in MVVM, which stands for Model View View Model, the model is very, very similar to what it is in MVC. The view is is mostly the same, but it's it has some subtle differences that are worth noting. So the view in MVVM is essentially an interactive user interface, and it represents the state of another component in MVVM called the view model. Now the view model is like a specialized controller, and it acts like a data converter. So so 
whatever information you have in your model, the view model can change that information into view information. And it can also pass commands from like the view to the model. So one example of that is like your model, um, your MVVM model might contain, you know, a data attribute in Unix timestamp format. Um, and your view model could actually go and format that into something a little bit more friendly for your view. So when it actually goes to displaying it, the view doesn't need to convert that data itself. It could if, if you wanted it to do that. Um, I just heard someone say I'm hypnotizing to listen to you. I don't know if that's a good thing or a good thing for a bad thing. Yeah, that was Joaquin in the chat. And yeah. Um, okay. I, I was just thinking something along the same lines. I was like, man, he, he's he's a really dynamic, you know, speaker. It was just, yeah. You explain things very well, though, so. You talk pretty. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you say that, I translate that in my brain to he has no social life. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh, you, you should so, hear our other shows. You know, Jamison's <laughs> over there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we were talking about model view models and, and view uh-huh. models essentially act as a middleman between your models and your views. And they can also expose methods for helping you to maintain view state. Now, um, going back to the view again for a moment, um, I guess the, the MVVM view, like we talked about the idea of views being both passive and active, where the passive one is dumb, but the active one isn't. The view in MVVM is actually active, meaning that it does a little bit more. Um, MVVM strongly promotes this idea of data bindings. Now, if you've explored, you know, frameworks like Knockout.js before, you, you're probably aware of this idea of having data bindings in your markup, which are then passed on to other parts of your application. It's, you know, some developers like them, some feel that it's a little counterintuitive having sort of logic and bindings in your markup when they could be completely separate. Um, right. that's that that sounds like mustache to me where they, you know, yeah. they try and strip all the logic out and it's, yeah, it's just yeah. dumb data. Mm. But it, it can also contain events and behaviors and stuff like that. But, you know, the, I guess the, the, the framework that most people know MVVM for or probably will know MVVM for is Knockout at the moment or I guess Kendo MVVM, which is another variation by, by another company. But, um, you know, in Knockout, your view is effectively just a HTML document with your markup in it, declarative bindings, and those link to your view model. Uh-huh. Um, I've personally, you know, I it, it took me a long time to really appreciate why someone would want to use data bindings in their in their markup. Um, but the reason why, I guess, MVVM is, is of interest to some people is that you might have a team where you have, I guess, UI developers and UI designers that want to be working on your view and you want to be able to allow the rest of the developers working on your project to focus on the view model and the models. So, you know, things that are that contain more of the business logic and behavior. And so this pattern can can help you with that because those designers could be focusing on the view. They could be including sort of data bindings in the markup without having to go writing logic themselves. And it can, it can be useful in that sense. Um, it's it's I can the performance sit- aspect though. If you need to uh, like refresh only one, one uh, aspect of the UI, then it kind of you know, it becomes a, a valuable thing to be able to do. Definitely, definitely. But because, um, I mean, sometimes you have like really, really big UIs with thousands of elements, and if you're mm-hmm. re- refreshing the whole thing, or you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it has it has some some interesting pros and some interesting cons. I mean, most of the cons are what what I guess the majority of JavaScript developers used to keeping their logic outside of the markup uh, will feel like. I personally probably wouldn't be writing a project that uses data bindings. I just feel it somewhat, you know, counterintuitive um, as a JavaScript developer to be to keep it, to keep all that logic in there. But you know, like I said, if 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 you're in a team where you find yourself needing to keep 
that separation where some people are able to focus on the view and other people focus on all the other logic. MVVM can be immensely useful to you. But uh, I, I guess I also wanted to mention it, and this is something that I, I covered in Essential JavaScript Design Patterns, but also in a recent article on MVVM. Um, you don't have to keep all of your data bindings in your markup. Uh, there are actually ways with Knockout.js to keep all of your data bindings in a binding object completely separate to your markup. Mm -hmm. And you can use data classes instead just to refer back to that logic and back to those bindings. So the amount of, I guess, um, logical hooks or, or declarative bindings in your market can be as minimal as you want. But I then get to a point where I think, well, if you're going to do that, maybe it makes more sense to be using something else. But it's it's interesting. It's, it's definitely interesting. Right. So I'm a little curious then after everything you, you've done with to do MVC and, you know, looking at these different design patterns and stuff, um, which of the MVC or MVVM or MVP, which we didn't talk about this model view presenter, um, mm -hmm. which of all these libraries do you use usually prefer on your projects. And you can't say it depends on the project. You have to pick the best one. <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhat glad Yehuda isn't on this call. You beat me. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so the one you I, I mentioned earlier that I'm writing a book about Backbone.js. And so it's, it's probably not a huge surprise that the one that I currently prefer the most is Backbone. Uh, the reason for that, in addition to some of the sort of enterprisey reasons, like, you know, there's a, there's a huge community around it. It, lots and lots of ways to extend it and tons and tons of um, large companies actually investing in building apps with Backbone, I find it extremely flexible. And something that you'll find even people who are like committing, you know, codes of Backbone.js will tell you is that once you really understand how Backbone works, you know, even if it doesn't completely support MVC in its classical form, it's flexible enough that you can you can use it in a way that works best for your project without subscribing to just one way of doing things. As, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm currently working on a rather large application at AOL where we effectively have an extremely small number of, of views and models in the application, even though it's quite large. And I'm making use of a huge amount of component reuse in there. But this is something that I, I personally find Backbone really useful for because it's flexible enough for me to do whatever I want with it. If I wanted to introduce additional parts in there, if I wanted to say, um, I don't know, spin off some some other layer that, that further breaks down you know, concerns um, in a way that Backbone doesn't do at the moment, it's not that difficult for me to do that. And I don't know that I could say that about all of the other frameworks that are out there. Um, having said that, um, I will say that um, I'm excited about some of the other frameworks that are out there, just so that you know they don't gang up and beat me. Um, I, I really, really like Ember. I like. I think that you know once they have a lot of documentation and some more solid examples down, which I know that um, Yehuda and Tom are working on at the moment, that's going to be you know it's going to be phenomenally interesting to see. Uh, Can.js by Justin Mayer and uh, what used to be Jupiter Consulting but is now Bitovi. They're the guys that that worked on JavaScript MVC. Uh, Can.js is really really cool. Um, it's it's sort of been built in a way where it's extremely lightweight, so it's it's in some ways um, supposed to be a competitor to Backbone, but it's got some it's got some really really neat things in there. I'm gonna quickly sort of look this up and just point out one or two of them. Um, Justin Mayer was like showing me this uh, right before they released it, but it's one sec. It's got everything from sort of live binding to some other magic that uh, I have to say while you're looking that up, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really disappointed we're not gonna.